This is James Walker, and welcome to Real Talk, Real People. This is the podcast that turns the mic over to everyday people to hear what they have to say about the issues and problems we face as a society. Hello, folks. Thank you very much for joining us again this week. We're calling it Throwback Monday, and my guests are Susan and Ian Schroeder, both New Haven County residents. We are revisiting our first podcast for two reasons. The first is we were new and we did not have the number of listeners that we have now. And because I think due to COVID-19, people are rethinking the idea of universal basic income and a lot of other people are just finding out what it is. When Andrew Yang was running for president, many people, and I count myself amongst them, scoffed at the idea of the government sending $1,000 a month to people to improve their living conditions. But UBI has already been implemented in different parts of the United States in trial programs, and it has also been implemented in countries around the world. And studies are showing that that bump in income is improving a lot of lives. And if you're like me and you're anxiously waiting to see if more stimulus money is coming, then I think many people may now agree that universal basic income is needed. But Susan didn't think that it was a good idea when we talked nearly a year ago. What can you tell us about yourself, Susan, and why you think UBI is not a good idea, and why you think it, hmm. Well, um, as of late, I call myself a pioneer woman. I'm a survivor. Um, I rode the uh, waves and curves of success um, in my early days, starting with the three C's, um, college, condo, career. Um, so I didn't even get married till I was 36 and had my son when I was 41. So I had a lot of history with um, my career in um, government contracts and Department of Defense with a secret clearance, got me through college. And um, graduating, I was uh, Director of Admissions and Placement at Butler Business School. So I trained students, counseled them, placed them in jobs. Plenty, plenty of jobs for them. Um, when I married, I, I worked with my husband, Subchapter S, and got him licensing agreements and um, patents for the company. When we had our son, I became a stay-at-home mom um, because I had passive income from my condo while my husband worked in his business. That took us to Orlando. Um, my son was born with a lot of special medical needs that required and demanded most of my time. Um, we were happy in our subdivision. Um, we had a lot of friends celebrations, gatherings, but we had no family, so it was a strain, and um, my, my son had constant emergencies regarding his asthma and his food allergies, so. Is, is that why you came back to Connecticut? It is. My, what happened was my, my uh, husband became disenchanted with my focus on our son's health. The marriage deteriorated, um, and uh, we were really forced to come back to our home state of Connecticut to be near family and just kind of, you know, recoup ourselves. I had not been in the workforce 
before, I want to say, between working for my husband's corporation and then seven years homeschooling our son, I was really out of it, uh, out of the workforce, and I, I came into it at age 50 in Connecticut. The only thing I could do was retrain and get my cert certification to teach physical ed, and at that time, the schools, demographics, schools were closing. Um, there wasn't a lot of work. What I could get was part-time, and that didn't pay a lot. So my income as a present is a combination of um, rental income from our family investment as well as substitute teaching. And um, not much more, you know, maybe I get a huge tax refund that goes to pay a lot of Taxes. So, so what is it? You're a professional employee. So, I'm assuming that with along with your rental income, you make a professional salary, so to speak. I, 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 I don't want to press you on exactly how much money you earn per year, but as a substitute teacher and with some rental income, you do have, say, more than a low, low income person. I am 63 years old, and um, even though I come across as young, the job market since I've been 50 has been cruel. Um, I, I apply for any career that I had previous experience in, substantial experience. We're talking um, DARPA, Pentagon Black, you know, security mm -hmm. facility clearance work that I could have worked at Sikorsky. Um, we're talking um, work with manufacturing. Those were our clients with my husband's business where I got the patents and licensing agreements. That wasn't happening. Teaching wasn't happening. The only thing that was happening, and, and then I realized, okay, then so I'll just take low-level jobs because they'll hire me for that, and I'll try to uh, apply to team, I applied to supermarkets, stop and shop, shop right, so I like produce, I'm a vegan. That no, wasn't happening, so it wasn't Susan, happening. Substitute I, teaching was what happened for me. So uh, I'm listening to you and you are applying for jobs that are say in the 12 to $15 an hour range. Less. Uh, or less, and yet you don't, you're not applauding universal basic income. Why is that? I mean, $1,000 in your pocket a month seems that it would really, really make a difference in your life, yet you're hesitant about, about that. Why, Why is because that? Because I always keep in mind the big picture. You know, I read, I'm a, I'm a voracious reader of multiple newspapers across the country, and I love reading minutes of town budgets. And um, what I see across the board is that the towns and cities, particularly in Connecticut, their budgets are slashed. There is not enough in education for our students. The school buildings have mold. Um, schools can't hire enough paraprofessionals for special ed. Um, the police don't have enough bulletproof vests in New Haven. There's a shortage of police by 100 personnel. And on and on and on. I could go on about this. So I'm saying to myself, you know, we, and, and yet, and meanwhile, we're being taxed to death. Okay, I mean, I would have an operating car right now if I wasn't paying so much in property, sewer, and capital taxes, among, so, among car taxes and sales tax and everything else. So why would I want to see that kind of benefit that, that would sap, would require more revenue, only begotten from the taxpayers, 
which would increase the taxes even more. The tax load would be increased unless the way, the only way that I could see this benefit working is if it tied directly into lotto revenues that we draw here in Connecticut. Other than that, you don't see, you think it would be a burden on the taxpayer? I think it needs to be a standalone revenue source if it's to be workable and not, not um, tear apart our, our, even our federal budget because, you know, we're owned by the Chinese now, if I'm not mistaken. Well, a lot of what we do is owned by the Chinese. <laughs> yes, that, that is true. But here's, um, here's what Yang is saying. He's saying we currently spend 500 to $600 billion a year on welfare programs. And, you know, things such as food stamps, disability payments, and so forth. It's his feeling that the more money people have, the better care of themselves they take. And we could wipe out, in fact, it would be a win-win, wipe out welfare and um, pick, up, pick it up with the $1,000 a month instead. He's also saying that we spend over a trillion dollars on um, health care, incarceration, homeless services, and the like. And he believes we could save up to $200 billion on that. Um, if people took better care of themselves, they were able to avoid the emergency rooms, jail, and the streets. It kind of makes sense. I don't know where he's drawing his numbers from, and I know that you know reinventing the wheel is not always an efficient way to do things. I can give you a case in point with someone I know right now that's receiving $1,000 a month revenue um, just by osmosis through family. And if you ask me, that person in the past eight years, in his 20s, has not moved forward in his life. Instead, he's going in circles because he knows the money's coming. He's always got his hand out. He spends it as quick as it comes. It's, it's depleted by the middle of the month. But he's got great haircuts, he's got a really smart, he's got, you know, an iPhone, his eyebrows are done, but his resume is empty. <laughs> his resume is empty. I'm not impressed. <laughs> and if that's one example, I can't imagine the multiplier effect. You're listening to Real Talk, Real People, the podcast that turns the mic over to everyday people. We're back in this throwback episode talking about, talk, I should say, talking with Susan and Ian Schroeder about universal basic income. Andrew Yang still thinks it is needed and it is a good idea. And I want to quote him from a recent interview. Quote, it's just common sense now. When you look around and see that there are tens of millions of Americans who've gotten shoved out of the labor force by no fault of their own, then cash relief is the only sensible solution. Well, you know, they, um, they've that. just done some um, actual some studies on this and what people were using the money for. You know, this started in Stockton, California. That's where I first got um, interested in this. And the mayor in Stockton, California, um, was proposing to give each of uh, his residents $500, the low-income residents. And what they found out when they went back to look at what these people um, did with the money, they spent it on basics. They spent it on food, um, utilities, um, um, services, uh, car repairs. That's where the money went. It went on the basis, the basics. So there really does seem to be a need for some people 
that that would really help. I think your son, uh, who is sitting here, Ian, and I see he's waiting, can't wait to get to get a word in here. But I'm wondering if this is a generation thing. Uh, uh, people in our age group, which are the baby boomers, they they tend to shy away from this. Uh, we come from that, you know, you get up, you go to work, blah 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 blah. But millennials are saying, hey. The money isn't out here. This is really going to help me a lot. So in terms of maybe not us, but in terms of the younger um, generation, you think this is a good thing for them? Or do you still feel that it's going to, like with your son Ian, do you see him going in circles with this? Or do you see him taking this money and actually improving his life? I think it's a horror show waiting to happen because I keep my edge by not having that money funneled to me every month by the government. I keep my edge. There's no way in the world at my age 63 that I would have any of the skills, especially technical skills, that I now possess that I've gotten in the past 15 years since the divorce if it wasn't for me constantly trying to reinvent myself and thank you very much to my son who helps, who aids me in that. I would just be maybe a slacker and I don't want to be that person. I mean, I want to mean something in my personal life, in my community, in my job market, you know, for decades to come. So I can't conceive that how, how uh, that would be such a motivator for people, actually. I could see where if it was going strictly into their college fund, um, you know, things of that nature where you actually can track where the money's going to go and, and where this, the, the student is, is benefiting directly. But if you can't track that money, it's like child support. You don't always know where the wife or the mothers, what they're doing with that money when it's paid to them by the court systems. And it's not always paid, and it's not always used correctly for the benefit of the children. Just, I think they could use some more studies, and I think they need to tie this program separately from the whole United States tax system that's already overburdened in my point of view. I guess I can't change my mind, but I would be interested in looking more closely at those studies as they come through. And um, Ian, why do you like this? How do you think it's going to help you? My story basically is I have a very small tech business. I don't make any money at all. Uh, I have a very hard time finding work. And um, every time I apply online, it's either rejected or I don't hear anything. I just, I can't find work at all. And even if I could find work, I have so many health problems that seemingly pop up out of nowhere. I have carpal tunnel syndrome right now. I have asthma, I have food allergies, I have acid reflux, I have anxiety, depression, I have PTSD. I mean, so I you have a lot of you have a lot of health issues. I have inflamed sinuses right now. I, I have a lot going on. So even if I could find a minimum wage job, it wouldn't it wouldn't it, it would help me pay bills and maybe that's it. But it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't give me a shower. I don't have a working shower. It wouldn't give me you know, the things I need. A lot of like food and because I eat a lot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Susan's shaking her head, so I guess yeah. that, that is true. The, so, so wait a minute, Ian, how old are you? I'm 21. You're 21, mm -hmm. and high school graduate? Uh, no, I happened to, um, I dropped out of high school so I could help uh, pay my mortgage. I took a job of Cumberland Farms, they got of me, like, within a week, I got the job. 
and then I was helping pay the mortgage, and then I recently enrolled in Valley Regional Adult Education, mm-hmm. and on the 24th of October, I'll be finished, and I'll have a uh, high school diploma equivalency. So, and then in January, I'm going to apply to, um, well, I'm applying now to get to Gateway. So, what would you do with the thousand dollars? Well, first of all, I would improve the things in my house. First of all, I mentioned the shower. I would improve that. I would improve, um, probably make it so that the bugs can't really get into my house. <laughs> That's a big thing for so me. So, in other words, you would use the money to just uh, fix up things that are you home can't get done right now. Right now. Like, the, the first check would go to home improvement, probably the second or third as well. And then once I had everything, my, my house is, you know, livable, decently livable, then I would start, like, you know, looking forward to maybe college books or if I didn't have to pay for that, I would, you know, buy better clothes, you know, just things that I need, things that I haven't been able to afford for years. Well, now, uh, going back to your mother's point, mm-hmm. she's concerned, and I think a lot of people um, in our age group would be very concerned, and I think that's our biggest concern, is that people such as yourself will get this money, and it will take away your ambition to go to step two. I can definitely three, see that. S- step four. Um, how would you convince your mother, though, that, that though there's this need, that that would not happen to you, that you, this thousand dollars a month would actually enhance and improve your life and enable you to propel yourself forward. Because you don't propel yourself forward by, say, fixing the house, you know, and those things. So those are things that you're doing to improve your living conditions. But what would you use the thousand dollars for to propel your life forward? Um, So that the thousand dollars would be, you know, you could do without it if necessary. That's a good question. I would probably use it to take care of a lot of my health problems. I would uh, definitely get a car. That's something I need. I would use it to pay for, uh, you know, the teaching classes so I could get my license. I don't have my license. You don't have a driver's license? No, I don't have a driver's license. I would use it to get that so I could get myself on my feet so that, you know, if I were able to, so, you know, I think I would be more hireable if I had a car. I think people would look at that and see that, oh, okay, he can get from here to there. And then, you know, I think my mother would be convinced by that point if I had a car that, I mean, she's already pretty convinced that I'm, I won't turn out like <laughs> someone we know. <laughs> but, um, but that would be the first step, aside from the housing stuff. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been reading a, a lot about this and um, looking at a lot of polls, mm-hmm. and Americans are kind of split on whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. And it seems that um, baby boomers don't think it's a good thing. Like I said earlier, millennials think it's a, um, a good thing. But there does seem to be a general consensus that this is coming. Um, and it's coming because there just simply is no choice. Uh, so it does seem uh, to be that it's coming. And I'm going to talk just a minute while you switch it back. Um, you switch the earphones back okay. to um, Susan because I've got a couple questions for her. One of the things I wanted to ask you is that Yang insists that um, by giving people this thousand dollars, that it's going to actually help improve the economy. Do you think that's Do you think that's a given? As you were interviewing 
Ian, uh, that did cross my mind that there would be a, uh, the money would be broadcast back into the economy, yes. The money would be broadcast back in the economy. You know, I'm, like I said, I'm really not big on this, even though I see the need. I prefer if we would, if this such a program is going to be implemented, I would like to see it go to seniors um, who desperately need help. No, seniors desperately need help. And I would like to see it go to the disabled because the disabled desperately need help. They don't, you know, they, they, they don't get jobs like we do. They're, you know, they're, they're disabled. And they, to me, uh, this, this $1,000 a month would be perfect for them. And I'm, I also think it would be a good thing for single mothers, though I would prefer that the single mothers would have their well, fathers, <laughs> their babies' fathers, take care of the kids. But I can also see where it is a good thing for them. I just don't see this as a great thing for you know, people between the ages of 20 and 50. I think those are the best years of your life. That's when you're supposed to build. So when we talk about just handing them $1,000 a month, I just see that as a problem. And, I, and I'm still just not sold on this, um, on this no, no matter what. I just don't see this as being a good thing even though I do see the value in it. And I don't know any other way to explain that. You know, how can you not want someone to get $1,000 a, a, a month when you know that they are struggling to pay for medication, to eat, pay rent? But on the other hand, I don't want a lot of, you know, people just hanging around and doing nothing because they do get that $1,000 a month. So I, I think it um, kind of, it can kind of go any way. Susan, you want to add anything? I know that you've been um, taking care of your mother, right? You've been taking care of your mother, or? Yeah, she depends on me for certain aspects of her life, definitely. Yeah. So, um, as you know, as you know, as we get older and our parents get older, there's a real challenge there, not only financial, but, you know, in other words, so, what do you say to wrap this all up? Well, as head of the household, um, you know, I'm proud to say that I keep us afloat, but it's only because I sacrifice. I am willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to cut my own hair. I'm willing to make, home make some of my own food. Um, I'm willing to shop at consignment shops. It becomes, after a while, you become creative. You know, you're like, geez, you know, look what I can do. I'm willing to fix my own sewer pipes, my own water heaters, which I've had to learn because I couldn't afford to do the repairs myself. I had to become a better person. I had to go on YouTube and rewatch and rewatch and sweat and worry. But if you become a survivor, and uh, I think inherent in everybody is a survivor. And that opportunity gets stripped away when they when there's automatic income coming in. So I can't see it except in a limited way with a million stipulations. You know, like you yourself mentioned with regard to, say, seniors and handicap. Maybe something like that with a standalone revenue source like Lotto. But like all things, you know, once it gets enacted, like the tolls, those can just keep going up and increasing. And where does it all end? And where, do, and where does it all end? There is still no answer to that question. But one thing I believe, companies are not going to pay enough 
to meet people's needs. So maybe it's time people really start rethinking the idea of universal basic income and how much a difference that $1,000 a month can make in their lives. You've been listening to Real Talk, Real People. If you would like to be on the show, have a comment about the show, or perhaps you have an idea that the show should explore, give us a call at 203-605-1859 or email us at realtalkrealpeoplect at gmail.com. And remember, start your Sundays with my column in Hearst, Connecticut newspapers statewide and start your Mondays right here at Real Talk, Real People. Have a good week, folks. We'll talk again next week.